Greetings to everyone joining us for a new episode of the European Hoops podcast. We cover the EuroLeague and the top FIBA events. I am André and with me our basketball expert Diogo Valente. Hi André, hi guys. Hope everything is okay with y'all. We are here for another episode of the European Hoops podcast. Hopefully you guys stay with us and tune in for the rest of our episodes. André, let us know man, what are we talking about today? Today we bring you our recap of uh, the last week action of the EuroLeague. This will be a two-part episode. Today on part one, we will be recapping the, the late game from round two between uh, Maccabi and Milano that was played uh, last week and also the first uh, four games of uh, round six that were played between Red Star and Bayern, Fenerbahce, Olympiacos, Jalgiris and Asvel and also the game between Valencia and Alba. We will waste no time and we will get uh, to the game between Milano and Maccabi a very important road win for Maccabi that uh, won Milano 98-90 to the MVP of this game for Maccabi was Jaziel Rivero with uh, 21 points 4 rebounds, 1 assist and 2 steals and uh, the ability of uh, Maccabi to take better care of the ball with 18 turnovers against uh, uh, 14 uh, allowed them to, to thrive in this game. They dominated the game in fast break points with 11 against 6 and also on points of turnovers with 20 against uh, 14. And those were some of the keys for this very important road win in a game where Milano started the game better with 32 points in the first quarter, but uh, Maccabi was able to, to answer and to be the more consistent team across the 40 minutes. This was this is a rough start for Milano, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's a very rough start. They they've been very disappointing because they have no contributions from the backcourt guys, and we talked about this. They are way too dependent on Miritic and, and Siobhan Shields, and I mean this is not a contending team uh, as currently constructed because if you are that dependent on two guys and then you have a, a, the whole backcourt, like not only the starters but the bench guys too that don't step up and don't contribute to winning, then it's going to be tough because even though they have all those options in the front court, they can't play them all together. So they, they need they, they need to start getting some contributions from the backcourt because otherwise it's going to be really tough for them to to be in the playoff picture because they are now 1-5 and, and currently tied for last. So it's a bit concerning, uh, to me at least, they they really they got a lot of work to do and they need to figure it out quick because like we spoke about early in the season, if you stay too far behind, then it's going to be really hard to catch up and they are falling into that situation. But for Maccabi, this is a, a big win. Uh, I think this was a big game for both teams because both of them were coming off of disappointing losses and Maccabi was able to step up on the road, get the win, uh, even though they shot poorly. They they were they were able to make up for it with their rebounding. Uh, Rivero ha- had his best game as a member of Maccabi, and then Lorenzo led the way. Uh, he had another double double, uh, orchestrating everything for Maccabi to get the win. So this is a, a great great win for Maccabi, and hopefully they they can keep building it to to be a play, a legit playoff team. And for Milan, like I said, they they need a lot of work. We when we started to preview this season, and uh, if I had told you that after six uh, rounds, Milan would be tied in last place with Alba and Asvel, and uh, would have been out rebounded by Maccabi in uh, in uh, the sixth round, uh, the second round game that was played later, that certainly wasn't what we were expecting, was it? 
Yeah, not at all. I mean, when you have all those options in the front court, you you shouldn't be getting out rebounded by any team. And you, we know we know Maccabi. They have a couple of options inside, but it's not like they are dominant bigs. So Milano needs to do a much better job overall. I mean, obviously the backcourt needs to be better, especially offensively. But it's not like the front court has been amazing either. So they they have they have a lot of a lot of work to ahead of them. I I really wonder uh, what will it take for them to to snap out of this moment and to to start performing at the level of the talent that uh, they have within this roster, because we have spoken about it about uh, the the lack of backcourt performance and uh, it's for me more than just that it's a lack of the pieces fitting together and them being able to to perform as a whole. Uh, like you just mentioned, they are very dependent on individual talent, and we will go over the the standings in the in the end of the this episode. But uh, Milano uh, really needs to to start performing up to to the standards of the talent that they have in the roster. Otherwise, they will be in trouble, and they are already trailing two wins behind the, the playoff spots. Now that uh, they have. Um, played their game that had been delayed and uh, this is a tough situation for Milano that we didn't expect it to see them at in this stage of the season but at the same time we knew that this was a team with some new pieces it was a team with uh, an interesting fit and we were always curious to know how all the, the front court options will be used and uh, there is uh, a long way ahead of this Milano team, but uh, they do have the talent to to be able to start performing as a higher level Euroleague team. Yeah, for sure. Let's then start looking at the games of uh, round six, and we start with the game between Red Star and Bayern. It was a game that we expected to be competitive, and Red Star uh, showed up. And at home, we had pointed out that uh, they would be seen as favorites into a matchup that could be a hard one against Bayern. And they got the six-point win, 74-68, to 68, and behind a great performance of the MVP of this game, Milos Teodosic, that ended the game with 16 points, one rebound, 11 assists and two steals, showing that uh, he still has it and he's still able to do it. Some key factors for this game was the uh, Red Star ability to take care of the ball. They turned over the ball only 11 times against 17 from uh, Bayern while they were able to be competitive on the rebound battle, that would always be a very important aspect of the game. And they did the most of their second chance uh, points opportunities, scoring 15 points out of second chance uh, opportunities against only four from Bayern Munich. That certainly was key for them to to be able to to stay on this game and to be able to, to control and win the, this game in the end. It was with a great defensive fourth quarter, allowing only nine points from Bayern that Red Star closed this win. And it was a game with crazy plus-minus indicators in a game that ended by only a six-point margin. We had Milos Teodosic with 21 points. We had uh, Rokas Giedraitis with plus 18 points. Jagdrushant with plus 14 points. Do you think that uh, mix and matching these lineups and uh, just being able to find more consistency is the the way to go for this uh, Red Star team that we recognize it's extremely talented? Well, it's definitely something that they can look at and, and try to try to play it that way uh, because I think this was the overall team effort by by Red Star. Uh, Milos still looks amazing. 
And Red Star did a great job keeping up with Bayern on the boards. I, th- I thought that was very important for them to get this win. Uh, Bayern did a much better job shooting the ball, but Red Star, while struggling shooting, they were able to get to the free throw line and they were able to cause turnovers to Bayern. And that allowed them to always stay in the game, even though they were down for three quarters. Uh, then Jago Dushantos was crucial on that four-quarter comeback and he hit the dagger to close it out for Red Star. So playing at home uh, against a tough team like Bayern, uh, I thought this was a very important win. And that court, fourth quarter, especially defensively, only allowing nine points was was elite. So they definitely need to, to look to that and try to be a consistent defensive team uh, overall because if they do that, they have a lot of firepower offensively. They have a lot of guys who can create. So... Obviously, that could be a, a blueprint for them to, to follow. This is a game with some wild plus-minus <laughs> records for <laughs> a game that ended uh, with a six-point difference. Milos Jorazic had a plus-21 in 26 <laughs> in 27 minutes that he was on the court. Uh, we had other players like Giedraitis with a plus-18. And Iago Santos, he was very important on this game. And we have been seeing his role growing and he becoming the, the offensive force that he can be for this Red Star team. Has a plus 14. These are like strong indications of uh, a team that doesn't have the consistency uh, across the game. And what are the, the aspects of the game and uh, the way that Red Star uh, plays that you think that uh, they are able to, to find that consistency and to be able to, to perform across the 40 minutes at the level that they can with uh, this talented roster? I think it has to be defensively because if they can be consistent defensively, I just believe the offense will look so easy for them because they have that type of talent. Uh, like They just got to commit to playing good team defense, to, to communicating and just be consistent because... They have these moments like they had in the fourth quarter where they can be great defensively and they can take a whole team out of their out of their game. But if they don't do it consistently, it's going to be very hard because with all these highs and lows, other teams can gain some momentum and then they might not have what it takes to, to turn the game around. So if they can do what they did in the fourth quarter, obviously they're not going to allow nine points every quarter to, to any team. It's going to be more. But uh, I'm talking about the the effort and the, the commitment. I just think it has to be uh, with that that they face the, the rest of the season because we talked about this a lot of times. For this team, it's all about the defensive consistency because if they can do it, I just think offensively they have no problems. Yeah, they won't allow nine points in each quarter, but uh, if they can uh, keep the... The points that they allow per quarter are slightly lower and just balance yeah. things out across the whole game. That exactly. will certainly be a key for them to, to be able to, to perform at a higher level and mostly at a consistent level. Next, we had a matchup that we predicted to be extremely competitive and that's what we got. A 79-77 to 77 win from Fenerbahce over Olympiacos. This will always be a hard road win for Olympiacos and in this rematch of last year's playoffs, the, this would always be a game that Fenerbahce will want to win. And they were able to, to lock the win, even if only for two points. The best player for uh, Fenerbahce on this game was Giorgio Papagiannis with 15 points, two rebounds, one assist, two steals and one block shot. While Alec Peters had the best PER of the game with 19 points, six rebounds, two assists, one steal and one block shot as well. This 
was a competitive matchup and uh, as we expected it would come down to the ability of Olympiacos to disrupt uh, Fenerbahce offense and uh, how Olympiacos will be able to impose themselves on that aspect of the game. Fenerbahce was able to take very good care of the game with only nine turnovers on uh, this uh, game against Olympiacos and that will always be the key for them to, to be able to conquer this win. A strong start by Fenerbahce with uh, 29 points in the, the first quarter allowed them to build uh, an advantage that was big enough for them to, in the end, secure the, the win, 79-77. to 77. What were the main keys on the, this uh, game? The key of this game uh, was clearly the, the first score, because obviously this was a very close game overall, could have went either way, and obviously a lot of controversy on this one. Uh, in my opinion, Nigel Williams did get fouled, but that's not why they lost the game. Uh, they allowed Fenerbahce to be dominant in the first quarter, and then they had to play catch-up the rest of the way. And even though they came close, they, they were never able to get the lead. So obviously that first score costed them a lot. But uh, shout-out to Fenerbahce because they started the game with a lot of energy, and, and they were being super aggressive defensively and on the boards. So that gave them a, a clearer way for, for the rest of the game. Uh, we know Olympiacos struggles to score uh, a lot of times, so to overcome uh, a deficit like they had in the first quarter was going to be tough. So a great job by Fenerbahce starting the, starting the game that way. And obviously, that was the difference here in this game. We had said that uh, taking care of the ball will be crucial for Fenerbahce aspirations to, to win this game. And they ended the game with uh, nine turnovers. They did a good job on the, that front. And we, we said it that for Olympiacos would be the ability to control the game defensively and to impose themselves defensively to against uh, Fenerbahce. And I guess in the end of this game, we just saw what uh, we expected. And Olympiacos doesn't have at the moment the, the firepower to be able to, to catch up with the team when they allow them uh, such a big margin. To, to start the game, they just give, gave them too much early on. Of course, the game ends by two points, and uh, uh, we understand that uh, Olympiacos could have won the, this game, but uh, for Olympiacos team, it's a team that uh, at the moment don't have uh, too big uh, of a, a margin in terms of the, their offensive output to just allow teams to go on the, this big rounds and then be able to, to easily come back and win games like this. But I want to look at the positives with Olympiacos. And uh, Alec Peters was, had a, a great, great performance for this Olympiacos team. Would you say that uh, they found a more than suitable replacement for uh, the MVP of Zankov? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you can say that much, but uh, I, I think Alec Peters has been playing at a very high level this season. And this game was no different. He, he's been a, a very important piece for them. And he's been one of the most consistent players for them as well. So it, as far as getting a replacement, sure. Uh, obviously, it's not, it's, it's not the same level of player. But they, they found a, a very good option for that four spot. They, but they just need other guys to step up too. Because uh, Alec Peters can't be your best scorer like, like he was in this game. You need other guys to step up and, and let Peters do his job, which is not to score the ball, right? And, and then you still have Sigma injured, so and McKissick, all of those guys. They 
they they have some troubles scoring the ball, and with all those injuries, it gets even harder. So uh, I'm curious to see this Olympiacos team at full strength, even though I still don't think they have enough offensive-wise. But uh, they are going to be a lot better once they have every guy available. So we, we're going to have to wait on that. We said it on one of the episodes that we had last uh, last week that Makiski is a player that uh, will be very important for this team. But I do think that they need a higher level uh, wing scorer to, to really unlock the full potential of this team. We know how good Walkup is. We know how good Milutinov is. Uh, having a rotation of the big minds of Milutinov and Fall, they certainly uh, couldn't ask for much more. They do have very consistent players across all the positions. They just need a high-level wing scorer to really unlock this team and to just elevate them back to a contender status that right now I think they are just a step below that with a very high floor given by their consistency, great coaching, very high-level players. They they are just that piece away from... Um, from being able to be that team. I do wonder if Makinski will be that player and uh, that's all that it will take for them for them to be fully healthy and at full force. Uh, I lean no at the moment. I do think that uh, they need that, uh, that high-level wing score to really be back to the full contender status. Next on the docket, we have the game between Jalgiris and Asvel. It was a very important first win in the competition, in the, this edition of the competition for Asvel, 91-88, that uh, leads Jalgiris to an unusual rough start playing at home, uh, where they are currently with one win and two losses playing uh, in front of their home crowd, that we know it's one of the, the strongest home crowds and home court advantages in the, the whole competition. The MVP of the game was Timote Luakabarot that ended the game with 19 points, 6 rebounds, 1 assist, 3 steals. And the best for the, the home team was Keenan Evans that ended the game with 19 points, 6 uh, rebounds, 7 assists. And that lacked uh, help despite the good performance from Thomas Dimshan that ended the game with 21 points. The, there wasn't a consistent uh, support cast for Keenan Evans in the Salgiris teams, and that has been shown, and it showed on games like this. Aswell gets this win by stepping up defensively on the fourth quarter and allowing Jalgiris only eight points on that quarter. And that was the way with a 19-8 to fourth quarter that Aswell was able to lock this uh, road win against uh, Jalgiris. You had pointed out that uh, this was a good chance for Aswell to be able to fight for their first win in the competition. Was this the way that you expected it to happen? Well, that was not the way I expected it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but such a great job by them. Uh, being able to have a, a fourth-quarter comeback like that uh, with Zalgiris playing at home, yeah, it's very hard to do. And Aswell did a very good job. Uh, it's the Poseco effect, and, and I love it. Uh, I love his reaction. To, to that win. Uh, I think that Aswell has obviously shown flashes of, of being a better team now with him. Offensively, they've been playing at a very high level, uh, but they're going to have to be better defensively. I think offensively, the ball's moving around. They are scoring at a very high rate, and that is according to the talent they have. So they, they were supposed to, to be able to play this way, but the issue is still defensive, and they need to improve a lot to, to be able to stay competitive. Uh, they are headed in the right way, though. Getting this win, will, I think, was very important for the confidence of everybody in that club. So we'll see what they go, what they do 
head uh, going forward. Uh, I think they're heading the right way for sure. Uh, as far as Algiris, I mean, same thing, different day. I mean, they, I think they need more again, especially on the wings. They they don't have a consistent scorer outside of Keenan Evans, and even him, he, sometimes he struggles. But uh, that's something they need to address because they still haven't replaced Chris Dakis, and, and I don't think they have enough to compete as currently constructed. So uh, I would expect Zagiris to to look at the market still. But uh, if they don't, I think it's going to be very hard for them. Even though, of course, there are games here and there where they can be competitive and they can play at a high level. But uh, I think it's going to be more often than not them struggling to score and, and to compete with higher level teams than, than the opposite. So I definitely think they need to get someone else. With Asphalt, I just take it. I take the, the offensive production. If they are able to, to take that part of the game where they should be good because they have very good offensive players and they are performing at a good level on that side of the court, I take it. I think that's the way for them to go. And hopefully the the defensive side will come along and will improve as the season goes. And that's what will give them consistency for them to be able to to perform and to aspire to to go higher than the bottom of the standings. But they have the offensive talent and uh, I guess this is the first time that we are seeing it uh, starting to be unlocked a little bit and uh, it looked uh, looked good, it looked better. And uh, that, for me, is the way for Asphalt to become a better team, a team that will play with more freedom and a team that will be be able to, to try to outscore some teams because they do have the individual talent to do that. But um, for Jalgiris, it uh, it comes down to exactly that. They don't have the uh, they don't have a group of players that offensively can, in a consistent way, to game after game be the the secondary scorers that the team needs alongside Keenan Evans. They do, or they probably will keep looking at uh, replacing Brazdaikis uh, with. Uh, with a player that will be that uh, secondary scorer to, to play alongside Keenan Evans. Roland Schmitz usually is a very consistent player. This wasn't one of his uh, best games. But yeah. uh, we have players that at times, like Olanovas, like Dimsha, like uh, Brandy Manek, at times will uh, have a big performance and a big uh, scoring output, but not in a consistent way. And that's what likes for this team to be able to go into these fourth quarters where the games get close and uh, they will have alternatives that will be able to to just uh, keep them in the game and uh, to close the games with uh, these wins. And that's what really lacks to to this Jalgiris team. If the other team is able to step up defensively and just give them troubles to what they are able to do, they they really don't have many options and many solutions. And while this is a feisty team, it's a team that will uh, that will play hard and that will always try to come back into games when uh, they are down. Uh, they s- just simply don't have the talent to to compete in certain situations against uh, some of the teams, and uh, that's like that was visible on the, this matchup against uh, as well in the, the fourth quarter. They just didn't have the secondary options alongside Evans to, oh. to to keep them in this game and for them to be able to lock this win when they were heading into the the fourth quarter with an eight point advantage. And we reached the last game of this uh, part one of our recap of last week in the Euroleague. We will be recapping the game between Valencia and Alba. Another win for Valencia, a team that is 
part of a group of five teams that are tied for second place. A team that has been having a very impressive start and they did it again on defense, allowing only 71 points by Alba. Valencia got the win 79-71 to with the MVP of the game for Valencia being Semi Ojale with 19 points, 7 rebounds and 1 assist. And he had two steals to his personal count. This is a team that uh, has several players that step up from game to game on the offensive end. They are producing enough offensively, but uh, their defensive ability has been the different setter for them and has been what is setting them apart. It has been a truly incredible start of the EuroLeague season for Valencia. How high are you on them? Well, I think high enough. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I see them as a... I mean. From what they've shown in these first six games, they are clearly a playoff team. Uh, there's nobody else playing defense the way that these guys are doing it. I mean, they, they've allowed over 75 points one time in six games, and that's their only loss. And it was like 77. It's, like, it's not like it was 85 mm-hmm. or 90 points. So they are clearly the best defense in the competition. Uh, I don't think there's an argument for anybody else so far. Um, they are too consistent and and offensively, they always have different guys stepping up to the challenge. And on this game, it was Ojale, but it can be Chris Jones. It can be Brendan Davis. Like the way they're constructed, defensively, everybody's going to step up and everybody's going to play elite defense every game, at least from what they've shown so far. And they show no signs of slowing down. And then offensively, when you have different guys capable of stepping up and contributing in different ways, this is a great team right here, and we expected them to be better than last season. We just didn't see this defense being the way it is. So from what they've shown so far, I, I got to have them as a playoff team because they've had. it's not like they've been playing all the bottom teams. Like They've had good wins. Uh, Maccabi, Monaco, Efes, Fenerbahce. They've had very uh, – not Efes. Uh, they lost to Efes, I'm sorry. They, they beat Fenerbahce, Maccabi, and Monaco. Those are great wins. So – I definitely have Valencia as a, a playoff team, at worst, a play-in team, because they've shown the ability to, to be consistent in this style of play. Uh, as far as okay. Alba... L- oh. Before you get to Alba, let okay. me interject okay. here, and uh, okay. I will uh, I will be asking you some hard questions. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. uh, Valencia versus Real Madrid. Are you talking about in a game or a playoff series? Like, uh, where who would you rank higher? Okay, Real Madrid, of course. Barcelona? Yeah, Barcelona. Yeah. Virtus. That's tough. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's tough. Uh, I mean, I could go either way, honestly. I-, I can put arguments for both teams. Let's call it a tie. Fenerbahce. Yeah. Fenerbahce, yeah. Uh, Monaco? Monaco. And Maccabi? This is where That's... it gets interesting. Okay, <laughs> with, with Wade, I would say Maccabi. Okay, yeah. Olympiacos. <laughs> can I just can I just say under on points that game? <laughs> yeah, it will uh, be the defensive yeah. clinic. Yeah, honestly, I, I think Valencia so far has shown better ability to perform offensively than Olympiacos. Okay, very well. I, I mean, I would probably go Olympiacos, but it would be tough too. It would be very tough. Partizan. Valencia. Um, and uh, let's close this with uh, with Red Star. Ah, 
Okay. Uh, ooh. Because Valencia is more consistent. And I think wrestlers' biggest problem is consistency. That can cost them a lot of games. I'll, maybe I will, I would go Valencia. Yeah. Okay. So you do have them in the 6 to 8 range. And yeah, there are some there. very yeah. competitive matchups. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I tend to agree with you. I think that Valencia just showed the um, that they are a team that belong on that range. The, their defensive floor is extremely high. And what for me is interesting, I think that uh, they can unlock their game uh, more offensively. I think they can still improve their ball movement while they play an unselfish brand of basketball offensively. And they have willing passers and willing movers of the ball. I think they can do a better job at collectively to maximize their uh, offensive outputs and to, to perform better offensively, sharing the ball, moving without the ball. And that, for me, is the, the way that this team takes us, goes a step even further and plays even better to really solidify them as a, as a playoff team and as a team that can compete for the playoffs. But we also spoke about this before. It's not a team that has very, very big margins and uh, health is crucial for the aspirations of this Valencia team to, to do aspire to win the season in this playoff picture that is like highly competitive. But go ahead, continue with uh, the breakdown of this game and uh, move on to Alba. Yeah, I mean, Alba lost, but they hang in there. Like It was a very competitive game, but ultimately Valencia was just too consistent and they were able to close it out in the fourth. But I think Alba did a good job. They, they keep being competitive regardless of the opponent. And that's all we can ask from them. Like, such an inexperienced and with a lot of young guys. I mean, I think Alba is doing a very good job. Even though, of course, the win-loss column isn't looking great for them. But we, we kind of expected that. So, I think they're doing a very good job. And I think they have a, a ceiling to, to grow. I think they can do even better. And they can get some wins. Like, this was a very tough game on the road against Valencia. And they did a good job. They, they were competitive. That's all we can ask. This leads us to the end of our part one of our last week of the EuroLeague recap. Tomorrow, we will bring you the recaps of the four remaining games that took place. And we will also go over the standings of the competition and give you a picture of everything that happened so far and what you can expect moving forward. The following day, we have our usual preview of the, the games that will take place on the round seven of the EuroLeague. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any new episodes that we release. And also follow us on Twitter at Itus EuroLeague to make sure that uh, you stay up to date with everything else that uh, we release and that we are doing here at European Hoops Podcast. As always, I'll be talking with you guys soon. Bye, guys. See you on the next episode. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.